Hello, this is Doe Wilman, and it is time for another meaningless problem. This one is called The Light Without the Filter. I don't know why I'm doing this. My mum said I should write down what I'm feeling, but not that she, she's got no idea what I'm, but I'm not a writer, so I thought I'd, and yeah, this is, yeah, this don't feel stupid or nothing, does it? No, but, alright, look, I do feel I need to get it out there, not that anyone's gonna, I guess I'm hoping someone, maybe someone much smarter than what I am will hear what I've got to say and I don't know, explain why I'm wrong or because if I ain't, I, if I ain't wrong, I think maybe I've unlocked the secret to the universe or something. So, uh, well look, I've, I've not really slept for two weeks and maybe that explains why I'm, but, but every time I try and drift off, I get this memory of my old man in his hospital bed with me and mum by his side. But it's not my memory, it's his. It's his final moment on this earth and I'm seeing it from his point of view. It's not clear it's me and mum, not while I'm in the memory, it's just a younger man and an older woman. And she's holding my, his, but my hand, and I can feel the weight of him, his body, the taste of his breath, the strip lights in the dirt on the ceiling tiles, the younger man, the older woman, and this bright white light consuming everything. And, and just when I can feel I'm ready to let go and disappear into the light, that's when I wake up. It started two weeks ago when I went to see this play and I was falling asleep in my chair and when I jolted awake, the old lady sitting next to me, I nearly frightened her to death. It weren't a good play. There were six actors and six characters and for some reason, each actor took it in turn to play each character. She had no idea of uh, working out what was going on. Not that you cared anyway because it was all such a load of bollocks. And the whole stage was lit with a red filter throughout for no apparent reason. The worst part was that some of the audience liked it, seemed to anyway. I was hanging around after and they were smiling and chatting away and I thought, I hope to God you're smiling because it's over. I was waiting for Cara, that's why I was there. She was one of the actors. She was playing the old woman and the young man and the child and the gypsy and the bishop and the tiger. But now she was just Cara looking at me with her perfect green eyes. Tomorrow or later today, she's getting married to my best mate Jim and I've got to go along to the wedding. I should have seen the play that night that Jim did. He went with a group of our mates, but I had to work late, so I went on my own. And we went for a drink after, me and Cara, and she uh, she brought up what Jim said at my dad's funeral. And I said, don't worry about it, and she slagged him off like she always does. Jim, that is, not my, not my dad. And we had a proper conversation, and I held her hand, but I think I held it a bit too much. And she made an excuse and left, and tried to pretend like it was nothing. And when I tried to sleep that night and every night since, I get that memory of my old man's final moments. Me and Jim sell medical insurance to people who don't need it. They filled out some inquiry form online and we'll call them up and tell them you can never be too careful. You never know what's around the corner. We try and make them feel it's a risk just being alive. Cara, when she's not acting, she works in hospice. She makes the terminally ill feel safe, while me and her fiancé scare the healthy. I'll look for something else soon, that's what I keep saying. I just need to get over my old man first. What sort of knobhead tries it on with his best mate's girlfriend? If I was you, I'd talk to her, tell her how you feel. 
That's what mum told me. If I was you, if I was you. Dad used to kick off whenever she said that. He'd always point out, if you were me, Sharon, you'd be me. So you'd do exactly what I do, wouldn't you? People don't really get to control who they are or what they do, he'd say. So you shouldn't judge anyone too harshly, even bad people. He'd point out some mass murderer or something and he'd say, how would you behave if you had his genes and his past experiences and his parents and his brain and his way of being? Not being bad is just good luck. It's like not being blind. That's why he hated retribution, the urge we have to see the wicked suffer. He believed in some form of natural justice. We're all God's children, that was his favourite phrase. And I'd say to him, but how can there be any natural justice when I'm me and you're you and other people are Jews in the Holocaust or Africans starving on the plains of the savannah? I don't know if that's really where they starve, but you get my point. And he'd say, that's not for us to know, son. And for him, that was good enough. We'd talk about all sorts, me and him, real in-depth conversations, the sort of stuff I can't talk about with no one else. Definitely not Jim or any of my other mates. All they talk about is their bets, their accumulators. Six matches, 400 to one, it's a sure thing, mate. They don't even watch the games sometimes. And there's a place for that, of course there is, but not non-stop. That can't be all we use words for, to talk about five-folds and six-folds of what we've been watching on Netflix. And even when it's something properly good on Netflix, something what asks some of the deeper questions in life or whatnot, on the rare occasions I can get any of that lot to watch any of that stuff, all they'll say is, yeah, it was good, mate, yeah, nice one, Lee. Bloody Burton Albion cost me two grand the other day. Me and my old man, we'd talk about free will and justice. We'd talk about what happens after you die. We'd talk about time and space too. And how it's possible that what we perceive to be the present moment is simply a perception. When the truth is that all of history is happening all at once. In some sort of unexplainable simultaneous infinity. And what even is the universe anyway? But consciousness... That was the one what really got me and him going. The pure fact that I right now am having an experience and you listening to this, you're having one and all. And most people think that's fine and normal, but it's the most astounding thing in the world. Scientists have no idea where it comes from or why we have it. Don't take my word for it, you can look it up. The only reason they know it exists at all is because they have it themselves. But evolution could have produced something what can do everything we can do, but without consciousness. So why are we conscious? Why are we aware of what's going on? Nobody has a bloody clue and we all just carry on anyway. We carry on with our conscious awareness that need not exist, that makes no scientific sense and yet it's the most miraculous fact about the universe. And this is the bit what really does my head in and me and him would talk about this for hours. Most scientists, even though they don't know how or why, they assume consciousness is somehow produced by the brain or it arises out of your brain if you get enough neurons together with enough complexity then somehow, ding, you get consciousness. And so it's your specific brain what's producing your specific consciousness. And therefore, if your parents hadn't had sex, and their parents and their parents and so on, right back to the beginning of time, you wouldn't just be a different person with a different gender or a different ice cream preference. Nah, you literally wouldn't be here at all. You wouldn't be having any sort of experience at all unless those impossible odds, trillions and trillions to one, had come in. And as far as you're concerned, there'd be no world at all. I think that's why my old man became a vicar because he used to bet on accumulators as well. And he couldn't accept those impossible odds. He thought there must be more to the story. I could never get on board with the old God thing, and to be honest, I'm not sure he did. I think wearing that dog collar was just his way of saying there's something more. It weren't what most people think, where you become a priest or a vicar and stop thinking. For him, it was the exact opposite. It was a commitment to thought. There weren't a single proven scientific fact that he wouldn't accept. 
that dog collar was just a reminder that there was still a lot of science left to do. I used to say to him when I was younger, what about all of them other religions? Why would ours be right and theirs be wrong? Some people believe in a different god or in multiple gods. Some believe in spirits, some believe in reincarnation and karma and everything else. How can you think we or you, what you happen to believe in, how can you think that uniquely would be right? And he said he'd never tell no one not to believe in another religion. He'd never tell no one what to think. He just kept his mind open and kept trying to learn. He said as long as there was mystery, it was okay to wonder. I said to him once after I'd read this book and I was trying to be smart, I said to him, why would you want eternal life in heaven? Because surely you'd do all the good things again and again until you was bored and eventually nothing would be good no more. And he said maybe the secret is memory. Maybe we experience everything as though it's the first time and we go on like that forever. He got dementia, my old man. So these conversations, they become a bit more one way towards the end. I'd talk to him about all these ideas, mostly just repeating back things he'd said to me and whatnot. And he'd become less and less sure what I was talking about or who I was. But I'd keep talking anyway. And at the funeral, I was sitting with Jim and Kara, and Jim said on some level, it must be a relief now he's dead. And I could see Kara was pissed off even then. It's not just Jim. I think a lot of people feel that way. When you start losing your memories, you start losing yourself, and it's true, but it ain't the whole picture. Because although his memories and his personality and his sense of himself did fade out gradually over the last few years, his consciousness was still there the whole time. It was there right up until the end. You could feel it when you looked into his eyes and he looked into yours. And if anything, it felt like it was more there than ever. Because I've started to think of consciousness as a bright white light, and our personality and our memories are like filters. You know in a theatre, right? Where you can put a red square over a white light, and the stage will be red. And the white light, if it was conscious, it would probably think it was red and all. So as my dad's filter began to degrade, it was as though this pure white light was coming through just that little bit clearer. And yeah, we was losing him, this man we knew. But it was like we was gaining something too. I could sit with him and be with him towards the end in ways we could never be before. There was no need for all them thoughts and ideas and debates and arguments because of course we had arguments. But we could just be there together, no memories, no personality, no filter. Just us. I said all of this to Kara the night I held her hand a bit too much. She told me she gets all sorts of people in the hospice, with different life stories and different conditions, and some of them are calm about dying, some are terrified, some don't really understand, some go contentedly, some try to fight it. But when she's with them at the end, in their very final moments, she said these differences, they seem to fade away. There's this pureness, this acceptance, this familiarity. As though at the end, once you strip people of all their filters, this consciousness that you're left with, it ain't specific at all. It's not their consciousness. It's not unique to them. It's the same as everyone else's. And in these visions I've been getting of my dad's final moments, I'm not him in any true sense, but I am the light, the light without the filter. And so I've been thinking, and this is the weird part, this is the whole point of why I'm recording this really, I've been thinking maybe, maybe the secret what explains everything, what explains consciousness and how I'm having this experience and how you're having yours and how improbable it is that we're here at all and the luck and the unfairness, maybe the secret is that at one point I was my dad and now my dad's me and one day I'll be you wherever you are and maybe you'll be me. Maybe it's all just one bright light trying on different filters, maybe this entire thing, this entire existence, me, you, my dad, your dad, Maybe it's all just one consciousness. Because if it is, then the fact you're having an experience wouldn't be so miraculous, would it? 
It wouldn't rely on your parents having sex at the precise moment they did and their parents and their parents and their parents. It wouldn't be more unlikely than billions of accumulators. Nah, it would allow for all the possible variations of life what could have emerged. And when you really think about it, it just seems so obvious. If Lee Webster had never been born, this consciousness would never emerge from behind my eyes. But it would, of course it would, emerge somewhere else. And when I die, that's exactly what it will do. It will pop up somewhere else. So if your parents had done things differently, you wouldn't be here but you'd still be having an experience. It would just be in a different body and mind to the one it's currently in. But very soon, it will be anyway. And at some point, at some point in this unexplainable, simultaneous infinity of time, it will be having the experience I'm having. Because your consciousness and my consciousness, they're the same. We're just at different points in the story, taking our turn to play a certain character. And the odds aren't trillions and trillions to one, they're just one. Because the whole universe is one consciousness. One light shining through different filters. And then we ain't lucky, you and me. We ain't good or bad, we are everything. Everything living and everything dead. Everyone who's wronged us and everyone we've wronged. We are every writer, we are every soldier, we are every musician, footballer, murderer. We are every single Jew in the Holocaust, but we are also every Nazi. We are the perfect mix of good and evil, failure and success. And we will suffer all the evil we have caused and benefit from all the goodness. And the more I think about it, the more it feels like all the religions have been pointing towards this one truth. As though their founders knew all along. Reincarnation? Well, yeah. This would be total reincarnation. You would come back again and again as every possible being in the universe. Karma? Well, literally, every bad or good thing you ever do would be done to you. I tried it on with Jim's fiance, and one day I'll be Jim. One day I'll buy all that overpriced health insurance I'll never need. And life after death, yes, and death, and death, and death. And all of these religions, they preach in their various ways kindness and compassion for others, and they urge us to treat our neighbour as ourselves. Well, of course we should treat our neighbour as ourselves, because they are. And God sent down his son. What a crazy idea, as though a human being could be the son of God, but also be God and also be a spirit. One being is the God, the Son and the Holy Spirit. It sounded like nonsense before, but think about it. If it really is all one consciousness inhabiting each of us, experiencing everything that is possible to experience, well, why wouldn't we call it a spirit? And if it's been around since the beginning and will be here until the end, and if it will be through me, with me and in me and also with you, then what is it? What is this thing, what's inside us, this mad, unexplained thing we call consciousness? And so we are all at once God, the Son and the Holy Spirit and the afterlife is just the next person we become. Because that's the answer, ain't it? That's why I'm recording this message. I don't want you to show me I'm wrong. I want you to understand I'm right. And I want you to tell everyone you know, because if everyone realises this, if everyone understands this truth, we can change the story. It don't have to be suffering and starvation and torture and murder. And it can be good. We can build a good world where it won't matter what person this consciousness inhabits next, because every person, every living thing will be a decent place to live. This is the world we have to create. Because we don't go to heaven when we die, we go there when we live. We go there once everyone understands what I'm saying, when everyone realises that it's all one consciousness, that it's all one thing, one God, one Holy Spirit and multiple sons and daughters, when we realise it's all one light through different filters and we start living for each other. And we create heaven on earth because that's what we need to do. That's what all the people what started these religions have been trying to tell us. Because what I'm saying isn't crazy, it's true. And one day it'll be you who's saying it, so maybe you shouldn't wait for that day. Maybe you should say it now. So I'm going to go see Cara now. I'm going to go to her flat on the morning of her wedding. I'm going to press her buzzer. I'm going to wait for her to come down the stairs and open the door. And I'm going to look into them perfect green eyes before I have any idea what to say. But the one thing I'll know for sure as I look into her eyes is that one day I'll be opening that door and looking into mine. So come on, 
please share this message, spread it around the world, let everyone hear it because one day it'll be you sitting here recording it and it'll be me sitting there listening because your suffering is my suffering and all the world's suffering is our own suffering and we need to build a better world. We don't go to heaven when we die, we go there when we live and I can't do it without you. So please, please help me because I would if I was you.